This is your Tuesday Daily Delivery. I am Michael Rand. It's Tuesday morning, Nickelback. I'm very excited about that. We bring you three different football segments every Tuesday. Andrew Kramer will join me in just a little bit for a Vikings film review, looking back at the win over Green Bay, how they were able again to push the ball downfield to Justin Jefferson, and whether that sort of aggressive play from Kirk Cousins is sustainable or whether he is getting uncomfortable with it. My least favorite team is my favorite team, loaded up with more haikus this week. Yes, five of them this week to describe most accurately, I will say, the uh, the win over the Packers, getting the Vikings to 5-5 five and five on the season. A lot of drama in that game, and uh, we're not done talking about that one. And Randy Johnson joins me after that to talk Gopher football. Nice win over Indiana on Saturday, but more importantly, huge game coming up with big implications against Wisconsin on Saturday. There's a chance the Gophers will be playing for the Big Ten West title. With so much to get to, we should probably just jump into it right now. It is film review time on Daily Delivery. Andrew Kramer covers the Vikings, joins me every Tuesday here. Andrew, how you doing? Doing well, Mike. Good to be on with you. It is. We'll do this again on Access Vikings in a day or two here. So uh, look forward to that as well. A little bit more in-depth Vikings coverage over there. But plenty to un- plenty to unfurl from this past week. 34-31 Vikings win over Green Bay, a game that had plenty of twists and turns. But one consistent thing throughout that game was Justin Jefferson for the second straight week making a lot of Big plays downfield, Andrew. Yeah, that kid is that kid is impressive. And I, you watch that game, and there's so many just amazing individual efforts that he had made. I mean, the second touchdown at the end, where he just leaps over the defender and kind of body control turns away the ball is kind of thrown behind him. He jumps up over Eric Stokes, the rookie Packers corner, elevates above him, tracks the ball. I mean, these are all elements that you see from the great receivers. You see them from, it was reminiscent of a Randy Moss catch almost that you saw against the Packers so many times where he can just soar above the other um, defenders and and kind of pick the ball out of the sky like that. Uh, He's just got so many traits that are hard to find. And and to have this in a complete package at 22, 23 years old, whatever he is, um, it's, it's incredible. And he's setting all kinds of records. And him and Devontae Adams, I think, are the only receivers with, you know, however many hundred yard games that they've had since 2020. And for Jefferson to do that at the start of his career, I think he's nearing uh, the all time mark of most hundred yard games in his first two years in the NFL. I I think he only needs a few more this year to do it, which is very doable for him. Well, good for the Vikings to again, not forget who their best players are to continue to get them the football. It's always, it's always a very important thing to do. And in this game, you know, it felt like um, they they were able to do it with a couple of kind of interesting wrinkles in your, you know, as you watch the game back a second time to kind of look for particular things, how were they getting the ball to Jefferson? And, you know, what was the kind of the level of level of scheme level of, you know, risk on some of those throws that were coming his way? Yeah, they've gotten back in Clint Kubiak and that coaching staff have gotten back to trying to leverage uh, unique situations to get their best players the ball because they gotten away from that in the middle of the year when everybody made jokes about the, you know, the CJ ham checkdowns, the Conklin checkdowns, 
at some point after the first few games, they decided we're just going to use these guys as decoys sometimes and try to leverage the other guys into open spaces. Well, this time they're putting uh, Jefferson in the backfield, running an option route with him against off coverage. Green Bay throughout the entire game played a lot of off coverage. They just backed up, wanted to keep everything in front of them. Problem is they didn't do it very well because you're seeing times like that where the Vikings can counter, put Jefferson underneath, get him open. They've never lined up Jefferson in the backfield. That was an entirely new thing in week 11. And then earlier in the game, they were able to even beat the off coverage with deep routes where they put Jefferson and Adam on the same side of the field. And then instead of them, an opponent being able to cover both of those guys with two safeties on opposite sides, you're able to put both of those guys on one side of the field and you're able to then attack a single safety over the top of that half of the field. And that ended up, I think it with Jefferson's catch that he had down at the one yard line, that's what happened. Him and Adam were both on one side of the field. Adam releases underneath. Jefferson goes deep. Both of them end up open and Kirk can pick which guy he wants to go to. In that case, it was Jefferson. So I just think they made the Packers look silly in coverage a lot. And a lot of that had to do with this coaching staff coming up with more unique ways to get these guys the ball because it had just gotten stale there through the middle of the season up until recently, really the past two games. And, you know, as we talked about in, in previous shows, it does take two, uh, two ends of that connection to make it work. And I thought one thing that was impressive to me in this game was Kirk Cousins ability to withstand pressure, I think for the second consecutive week, really, and, and to, to still get the ball downfield. I'm just looking at some pro football focus stats. Cousins was pressured, according to PFF, on um, 45.9% of his dropbacks. That was the second highest rate of the week, but he still had 11.1 yards per pass attempt under pressure, eight completions on 15 attempts, 167 yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions. Now he did have one that was, uh, he had one, what's called a big time throw. He also had one turnover worthy play. I think the Vikings would probably take that if it's, if the difference between that and old Kirk was maybe a few more completions, but not nearly as many yards and, and giving up a lot of, you know, a lot of opportunities by not hanging in there and making that throw and, and checking it down a little bit sooner. Yeah. Kirk played very, very well um, under pressure. And I didn't realize the volume, like the amount of, of pressure he was under uh, until rewatching the game. And certainly until after you read off those stats, that puts it in perspective because there were a lot of plays, including, I think it was the second throw where he finds Jefferson for that 43 yarder downfield, Devondre Campbell, the middle linebacker for green Bay is coming right up the middle, gets in his face and Kirk's able to kind of just backpedal, lob the thing up, put it up there for Justin. And he comes down with it. That was the story throughout much of that game where Kirk just gives his guy a chance. Isn't too phased by the pressure can stand in the pocket and deliver downfield. Um, that's been always the thing that when, if he takes early hits like that, like I said, that was the second throw of the game. He was getting drilled by the middle linebacker before when the things go poorly, that affects him. He starts checking down, he gets uh, conservative, all those things. And I found it interesting that Mike Zimmer had said this today after the Packers game about Kirk, he said, I want him to keep doing it like he's doing it. He can't second guess himself. If he throws an interception, that's life, but you keep going for the jugular. It's going to open up a lot of other areas in the running game. And we've got to keep being that way. That's a that's a total change from what Mike Mike Zimmer said. That are you sure yeah. it was he was not like is someone controlling his voice box? Are we sure it was Mike Zimmer? Is Mike Zimmer safe? Is he in a safe place? 
That was John Filippo as Mike Zimmer. No, <laughs> I just, I think it's a total change. I think this is a total change because Zimmer, I think, realizes his defense is not going to keep the water level down for your offense to the point where you can be conservative. You cannot go out there and risk uh, burning six minutes off the clock and scoring no points when your defense is going to give a touchdown up right away. At four straight touchdown drives by the Packers ended that game. It was not the defense that was going to keep a minute. Zimmer knew it was the offense. That's why Zimmer told the offense at the end of the game, finish it, don't score, sit on the ball. I don't even want Rodgers to get the ball back down seven points with however many seconds it would have been left. Uh, I just think Zimmer realizes to keep his job, to keep this Vikings team moving in the right direction, you need to change your identity a little bit. And he throws in there about how throwing can set up the run, but that's just a nice way of saying we need to be potentially more of a throw first team to attack downfield, get these guys away in terms of the defenders away from the line of scrimmage. And then you can kind of work off cook from there. And it, it is a pivot from what we've seen before. Um, and I found that very interesting because Kirk, when he's under pressure like that, some mistakes are going to happen. And Mike, how close are we to talking about a, a backbreaking interception at the end of that game, costing them the win? That's exactly right. I mean, I've, and I mentioned that with Royce on Monday show, it was like, you know, I, the narrative I was creating in my head at, you know, before they come back from the commercial break and you probably saw it a little bit sooner cause you're there, but I wasn't following the game on Twitter. I didn't see people being like, Oh, this, this is going to get overturned. It was a surprise to me when they came back. I didn't even realize that there was any kind of bobble when Savage went to the ground. I was writing the blog post in my head of this is why you can't trust Kirk cousins. You, you gotta, you know, this, that, and the other thing. And then they come back and out oh, surprise turns out it's overturned and he goes and leads them down the field for, you know, the, the game winning field goal. So yeah, the, the narrative 180 degrees changed. I mean, he had played a very good game up to that point, but all that really matters in this league right now is the final four minutes. And if he didn't get it done there, they were going to be four and six and really looking at, you know, a tough sledding ahead to get the playoffs. Yeah. And that's why us is, or any fans or media, anybody, anybody with the power of hindsight, when they're evaluating this Vikings team, if they lose in San Francisco, cause Kirk throws a late pick and he's being aggressive like that, you have to be processed over results. You have to realize this is what everybody's been clamoring for. And you're going to have to deal with the other side of that coin. Sometimes if you do lose a game, because you're taking that chance and it all comes back to the defense. Again, it comes back to, because this team is not built the way Mike Zimmer wants to typically win games Credit to him for finally adjusting it a little bit, it would seem, in week 11 or 12, or I guess it's been a couple weeks now where he's embraced. Year seven and a half. <laughs> he's embraced He's embraced more of this aggressive approach. Well, I guess it's a year and a half of the defense underwhelming, but um, if it took this long to do it, he's finally there, and that's what enabled them to, to really uh, push the ball downfield, re- release Justin Jefferson against the rest of the NFL, and, and be five and five at this point. Last thing for you, Andrew, do you think this is sustainable? There's a quote from Kirk Cousins that was in Ben Gessling's second day piece on our website and in the newspaper Tuesday, a quote from Cousins, I could point to a half dozen throws there that were too aggressive, and I could argue that was one of them, talking about that throw to Thielen on the last drive that kind of you know just scooted past Rasul Douglas and got to Thielen and ended up getting them into field goal range. He said, I don't think you want to live doing that. I think that we got away with it a couple times. I keep saying we're on a razor's edge, but that that's a play where it's an example of it. The difference between him catching that and making a play that he did is going the other way is very small. What do you, what do you think about that? Does that make you think Kirk Cousins wants to live this way or is this, you know, is he being kind of nudged in a direction that he's not entirely comfortable with? 
Yeah, it, that quote combined with Zimmer. Zimmer also said Sunday after the game, he told Kirk, go out and score touchdowns. I will back us off when we need to back us off. That says to me that the conservativeness in this offense might be on Cousins a little more than maybe we had been talking about. Because I think the prevailing theme or thought was that it's been Zimmer kind of keeping his lid on this offense and wanting to be run first, all these things. That is true. But maybe Kirk has held them back in 2021, for instance, a little longer than Mike Zimmer might have even wanted them to. If, if Zimmer wanted them taking more chances in that Ravens game, for instance, or that Dallas game that they lost after the bye week, um, because Kirk has been one, too, that I think he likes those numbers. I think he likes to look at those numbers and say, I threw 24 touchdowns, the to two picks or whatever it is. Um, and that doesn't necessarily win you games, as we saw, because if 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 Kirk throws a pick at the end of that Packers game and they end up losing, I think the right thing to say is still that that was the right call to make. It's still a right to be aggressive. And I asked Adam Thielen today, actually, about that catch that Kirk referenced. It was that fastball that was right over Adam's shoulder on the sideline. Adam really didn't even see it coming. Adam said, look, these are the kind of plays that we need to have, even if the timing needs to be 100% perfect put it up there and trust us to do it. And, and I think that shows you that you could trust these guys to make these plays. And it worries me that Kirk said something like that because it does show you more into his way of thinking of, and I'd rather make the, the calculated decision of always having the odds on my side. And sometimes guys like Jefferson and Thielen can tilt the odds toward your favor more than maybe we would think. Well, we'll see what happens against San Francisco. That's an interesting and very important game suddenly both teams five and five the winner of that one really has inside track with six games left to get one of those playoff spots the other team still would have a chance but you know dropping an nfc game and losing that head-to-head tiebreaker would be a pretty big deal for either team so we'll see if aggressive kirk and the vikings show up or if it's a different kind of game out there andrew good stuff we'll see you next week okay hey looking forward to it thanks mike And again, like Andrew and I talked about, the thing I'll be interested in the most to see against San Francisco is whether the Vikings keep pushing it downfield. I think they're going to need to against the 49ers. San Francisco, like the Vikings, kind of a sneaky 5-5 team. You look at advanced stats like DVOA on Football Outsiders, San Francisco way up there, just like the Vikings, maybe better than their record indicates. Vikings are going to need to score points to win this game. Can't go conservative now because going aggressive has been working for them. Take a playcation to Mystic Lake for 24-7 gaming, fun restaurants and bars, and luxurious hotel rooms. And join Club M to bask in the rewards. Follow the lights to Mystic Lake where every day is play day. It's time for my least favorite team is my favorite team. And Keith... I got to be honest, um, sometimes this segment is more fun when we get to gripe about the team, but I think this week it's just more fun because Sunday's game was a really entertaining game that somehow, some way, the Vikings found a way to win. There was about seven different twists and turns that that could have taken it in a lot of different directions, including what I thought was going to be an interception that was going to lead to uh, Aaron Rodgers marching down the field and beating them, but instead... That call is correctly overturned. Sorry, Packers fans, correctly overturned, and they win the game 34-31. Sir, how would you like to express yourself in the wake of this victory? Well, Michael ran to the Star Tribune, as we've established in the last podcast segment I was on. I have the soul of a poet. You do. 
I actually was having a lot of trouble expressing myself in the early weeks of this segment. And it wasn't until I finally turned to poetry, which I think you and I can agree is really the only medium in which football should be spoken about. That's how, most games, that's how most game stories are written. Right, right. And now I, I believe that I have a voice. And so as like last week, today I have some haiku for you uh, in order to sort of express how I felt about that game. My, my sources tell me that you have five this week after having four last week, the five perhaps being symbolic of the, you know, the, the nature of the victory. Um, it was their fifth win. Last week was their fourth win. And, the, you know, there you have it. Right. And also they have five losses. So it's the, it's the balance of nature, again, speaking in the language. Five, seven, and five. I hope they don't finish the season five, seven, and five, because that would be weird. That would be very weird. That would be very weird. <clears throat> haiku number one. For those who don't remember, haiku, three-line poem. First two lines, five syllables. Second line, seven syllables. Meant to capture a moment or a thought or idea or, or just a revelation, as it were. Five, seven, five. <clears throat> Here we go. Haiku number Hey, Shailene Woodley. Aren't you famous or something? Why marry that guy? <laughs> I mean, he was a pretty good quarterback. He played pretty well, but yeah, he he looks he looks like he's going through like a, a little bit of a crisis this through year. some things. <laughs> Randy Moss very famously uh, walked off the field one game and got absolutely roasted by all kinds of people. He was treated as if by walking off the field he had taken a sack of murdered puppies to an orphanage and then burned down the orphanage, right? He was treated that way. Meanwhile, Aaron Rodgers is standing there at the end of the second quarter, at the end of the first yeah. half in the tunnel, <laughs> having just basically done the exact same thing Randy Moss had done, right? Was not there for whatever last little bit there was. He was not the one who took the last snap. Yeah, Jordan Love had to take the deal down. Right? <laughs> that guy is so checked out. It is just, and somehow both checked out and yet not at the same time. And it just must be awful. It must be awful to be one of his coaches or teammates, right? Because we've all had that crappy coworker, right? We've all had that person that we just didn't gel with as, as a coworker. But then to have that person be fundamental to your own success and then have that person decide that they don't care just has to be excruciating. And it's I beautiful. They, I hope they like, well, I don't hope they do this, but like, I hope they get, okay. I hope they get to a critical game this year and he's just doing, you know, he's just, he's decided that he's just full on doesn't care anymore. And he just starts like chucking it underhand, like Richie Tenenbaum in the Royal Royal Tenenbaums, just like, you know, serving it underhand and the, the biggest sitting down, take his shoes and socks off. Or perhaps just sitting on the field doing Sudoku or something. Maybe whatever, whatever works for him. I'm 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 open to suggestions as long as it uh, as long as it means uh, as long as it means some defeats. Okay, haiku two. Haiku two. Haiku number two. <clears throat> Eighteen and nineteen can help you win football games. Who knew, Mike Zimmer? Yeah, Adam Thielen and uh, Justin Jefferson. Actually, Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen, if we're counting upward from 18 to 19 they were pretty good in that game especially justin jefferson it's amazing we talked about this two weeks in a row and here's the thing i they absolutely don't 
win that game if they don't have that mentality change where they got to take some chances and let it rip on offense. They could not, I don't think, have won a conservative game. You're not going to beat Aaron Rodgers, especially when he's making the throws he made, even if he's partially checked out, even if he looks like he'd rather be, you know, camping by himself somewhere in Northern California. Um, he, he, he still can beat you. You, you could, you wouldn't have won that game trying to play it safe. You know, it's, it's, it's funny, right? It's funny. All it took, all it took was for everybody on planet earth to be convinced that Mike Zimmer was going to lose his job, the stubborn way that he was coaching his team for him to finally figure out eight games into the season. Hey, maybe we ought to let our best players do what they do best. It's crazy. All it took was seven and a half seasons for him to actually assess his football team properly and correctly. Now, admittedly, there were times when the defense was better, but to actually decide, hey, you know what? Instead of stubbornly doing what I think needs to be done on offense to win a football game, because this is what scares me as a defensive coordinator, we should maybe actually let the high-priced players and the significant talents on the team do something. It's crazy. It's amazing. It's amazing how that works. That's all it it took. It's all it took. Him him maybe finally losing his job. Yeah, but they, you know, know, I guess better now than never, if you you can't learn at a certain point, then – you know, there's no, there's no point in even, uh, even trying in that case, but yeah, it's, it was a, but big... it might lead to, it might lead to like a, a worst case scenario though. Right. In one sense that <clears throat> I think many of us were ready to be done with Zimmer. And then all of a sudden we get this little change of, 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 of how we're going to do things. And let's kind of like, well, all of a sudden we're in the hunt, we're in, in the, the hunt, hunt, baby, the graphics right? coming up, the graphics coming. Actually, they're, <laughs> They're not even just in the hunt. They're, if the season ended today, which would be weird because there's still seven games left, they would be in the playoffs. They're the number six seed right now, not even the seventh seed. And, you know, there's a bunch of teams in that squishy middle with five wins. So, you know, don't get too excited about that right now. But they have a good conference record. They're four and two. They've got some winnable games down the stretch. So get to play Detroit again, get to play the Bears twice. Um, you know, I don't think there's a game left on their schedule that they couldn't win. Theoretically, I don't think there's, you know, any one game you're like, oh, there's just no chance they're going to win that game. They got some tough games. They got to play at Green Bay. They got to play the Rams. Um, they got to play at San Francisco next week, which is a tough one all of a sudden. But yeah, I, they're, they're a little bit more than in the hunt and they got there, they got there quickly. Um, and, and that was a big one. Okay. Haiku three. Okay, I think three ties into this conversation as well, too. But let's Beautiful. continue the conversation. Number three, end of the first half, a chance to finish the game. Why use C.J. Ham? Yeah, the toss sweep to C.J. Ham. That was in uh, Mark Craig's five extra points uh, piece today. Good stuff by him. I, I, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. That was a that was a curious. What was it? Third and one, and they they needed a yard. And they end up giving the ball back to Green Bay. Green Bay gets a touchdown. They're up 16-3 before that touchdown. They keep the ball there. Maybe they go down and get some points. Um, you know, maybe it's moot. Maybe they wind up punting later and the the touchdown happens at some point anyway. But yeah, that was a on a day where they dialed up some pretty good things. That was uh that was a real head scratcher that did not work. 
forced them to punt. And uh, that could have been a real turning point in the game had they not been able to rescue it at the end. Well, it speaks to the question as to whether or not this change of heart we're seeing from Zimmer in the offense is actually something that we can count on or a more of a bit of a mirage, as it were. Is it something that they're actually going to commit to? Or in this moment when they felt they really needed to get something, they reverted back to some of their own ways and tactics. And so I don't know, right? I, I don't know. I guess it's possible after seven and a half years, Zimmer is going to change the way that he does things uh, because the stakes are high enough for him to finally decide to do that. Uh, but it was a little indication of, of we're, we're not so far over the fence with this, with where the offense is headed and where the philosophy is headed that we can necessarily count on it perpetuating into the future. Yeah. And if you heard them both, if you heard Zimmer and cousins talking after the game, I think both of them got a little nervous about some of the near turnovers that happened yesterday and understanding that, or believing at least that there's going to come a point where they got to dial it back a little bit. And I, I, I get it. Like you don't have to, you know, you don't have to have your foot on the gas the whole time. There is a time and place for a slightly more buttoned up approach. If you have a lead, if your running game is going well, things like that. But hopefully at some point we will have some evidence that they've learned when to hit the gas and when to not hit the gas. And I don't, I don't know if I think you're right. I don't know if we're there yet. Right. It, imagine if they had tried to stick the dagger in there as well, too. That's all I'm saying. That's all yep. I'm saying. Yeah. So Hike number before. four. Yeah. Number four. <clears throat> Can you imagine? What if the old line was good? Loins are tingling. Oh, wow. Um, I'm going to have to take a minute on that one. Okay. Um, all I'm saying is, all I'm saying is the offensive line was terrible. Yeah. <laughs> that, first it was, play, that first play of the game. Where Mason Greek- Cole's just getting shoved back into Kirk Cousins, look, looking, doing his best Garrett Bradbury impression. Yeah, it was yeah. not good. The Green Bay defender almost took the handoff from Kirk Cousins. Yes. Yeah. Right. And the pocket was constantly collapsing. On the, and so this is defense, and excuse me, this is an offense that put up 34 points with a truly bad offensive line performance. And I'm sorry, Brent. I'm sorry, Brent. Truly bad offensive line performance. It was awful. Uh, Could you imagine if they had a little bit more stability there? With the weapons that they have, they would be unstoppable. They would be utterly amazing. And the fact that they can put up that many points and that much offense with the state of the line that is in now, when it really did not play very good, just suggests what life could be like. Yeah, it was, uh, that was, uh, that was dicey on the, uh, on the offensive line for sure. Yeah. Mason Cole got, got pushed around pretty good. I think he, I think cousins was pressured on more than 40% of his dropbacks. And sometimes it was coming from a bunch of different places. I actually thought cousins played, I mean, he played a good game. He got away with a couple throws, but particularly his willingness to make some throws under pressure or right when he was about to get hit, you don't always see him do that, but I thought he, he had a ball to Jefferson um, that went for a pretty big play where that happened and some other things where he was able to uh, was able to sustain uh, sustain some of those drives by making throws when, uh, when, when, the, when the line wasn't necessarily helping him out as much. Well, he's had a very good season. I mean, he's been excellent and we know that he's capable of a certain level of success and, and perhaps 
now that there's more encouragement, I guess, to open things up, maybe they can actually sustain this success in a way that you didn't expect them to do in previous seasons. Yeah. I'm just, I'm just surprised because where he's broken down in the past is where he's kind of uh, defaulted to check downs when he's faced pressure. And I didn't think he did that on Sunday. I think he, he took there were three or four plays where he knew he was going to get hit or he was feeling pressure and he either slid or just waited that split second and made the throw and, and took the, took the, took the hit and, uh, and, and made it work. So I right. agree. I agree. It was very impressive. We'll see if it lasts. We will see if it lasts. Haiku five. Okay. Last one. And I think this really sums up the entirety of our conversation. The Green Bay Packers are nothing but a dumb cult. I'm glad that they lost. <laughs> well, it was. We're not too far from not too far removed. You see, they just put up a whole bunch of new shares of pretend stock for their yeah, fans to buy. That. Like, like three hundred dollars a share. I think they're oh, three hundred. It's a bargain. Three hundred dollars a share, and I think they're limited to like I can't remember what the number was, but they crunched the numbers, and it's like they can raise ninety million dollars selling these selling these shares of basically it's it's memorabilia. It's it's. I mean. If you have $300, I, I wish you would spend it on something more meaningful, maybe help somebody who doesn't have $300, but I guess yeah, buy some like Packer stock, buy some, buy some buying Packer stock is just ridiculous. And it does speak to the nature of, uh, of the, the East, the East cult that, uh, that exists over there. But uh, yeah, you, you can certainly be glad that they lost. I'm not going to stand in your way. Isn't it amazing how the narrative of a season can change so quickly remember when the vikings were three and five they had just lost the you know the game to dallas that they gave away against the backup quarterback cooper rush and then the the game in baltimore where you know they had plenty of opportunities to win that game but let baltimore back in and couldn't close it out just think about where they were when they were three and five two weeks ago season looked dead talking about mike zimmer is he going to get fired two wins later we're talking about maybe making it to the playoffs having the inside track on that just a reminder um, that even in a, a season like the NFL where every game is magnified, you can turn things around rather quickly. And uh, it's probably, you know, the old cliche that teams like to use and players like to use is taking things one game at a time probably is the right way to go. And we get a little too excited about outcomes that, uh, that, don't, that don't determine exactly how things are going to go down the road. Welcome back, Randy Johnson. Covers Gopher football for the Star Tribune. We chat every Tuesday about the Gophers. This week, a little bit more significance than others, Randy. Gophers took care of Indiana on Saturday. You know, fell behind early, but made it a pretty easy win by the end, 35-14. to 14. Not a good Indiana team, even though there was some optimism about them coming into the year, right? Because they had, had had it going last year. Yeah, they they were very good last year, uh, and they they had pretty much all their um, off, key offensive parts and uh, some really good defensive parts coming back. But uh, they got off to a really tough start. They lost to Iowa thirty four to six, I believe, it was in the opener, and then started to get injuries to guys like uh, their quarterback uh, Panix, uh, and then it just it just went uh, just car started swirling down the drain, and you know, they lost seven straight now, and uh, you know. Two and nine overall and uh, winless in the Big Ten. We'll get to what's at stake on Saturday for the Gophers here in a minute. Obviously, they play Wisconsin at Huntington Bank Stadium and potentially at kickoff 
Um, Big 10 West championship could be on the line for the Gophers certainly will be for the Badgers. Um, but let's talk Indiana quickly, even though it ended up being a pretty comfortable win. Some important things I felt like happened in that game. One of them being Tanner Morgan, having one of his better and most complete games of the year at a time when, you know, there was some, certainly some skeptics wondering if he was the right person to, to even be the quarterback. And he had a good solid game against Indiana found his rekindled his connection with Chris Ottman bell. Um, what was your impression of, of that, uh, of that piece of the win. Yeah. Tanner Morgan uh, played very well. I thought, you know, he was early on there. There were a few uh, passes that might've been a little bit behind receivers, but he settled in very well. They got him into a rhythm. Um, he ended up uh, four, 14 to 20 for 196 yards and two touchdowns to, to Ottman bell and uh, two nice catches by Ottman bell on those. Um, you know, basically uh, one really impressive play uh, Ottman Bell's second TD catch uh, uh, Morgan, uh, I had a blitz in his face, blitzing linebacker in face. We got called for roughing and still completed that pass. That, that was pretty impressive. Um, yeah, he was sharp. And I, I like the play calling a lot better, too. They mixed things up a bit, enabled uh, Tanner to spread it around. Uh, it was like six or seven different receivers. Um, they used a tunnel screen. They used a middle screen to uh, tight end Brevin Span Ford. They, they found uh, Brevin Span Ford wide open to the side. You know, nobody within 15, 20 yards of him. He hurdled a uh, defender. On the way to uh, inside the five, got uh, taken down to the four. So it, it was it was kind of fun to see um, that type of passing uh, attack that you know plays like that out of the passing game. We've it's got to give him more confidence going into Saturday. Before we kind of get into the specifics of the implications of playing Wisconsin, what that matchup looks like, Randy, remind the listeners what potentially is at stake and what needs to happen for them to come away with the big 10 West championship and be able to play for the big 10 title. Okay. Well, what has to happen is they have to get into a four-way tie. Uh, the other teams being uh, Iowa, Wisconsin, and Purdue for, for the, for the first place in the West. It sounds pretty complicated, but it isn't too, too bad right now. So on Friday afternoon, a 1230 game on BTN, uh, Iowa visits Nebraska. Iowa and Wisconsin now are tied one game ahead of the Gophers and Purdue. Purdue cannot win the, the, the title, but they can play a role in, in it. Anyway, if uh, Iowa loses to Nebraska, then what has to happen on Saturday for the Gophers to win the West would be Purdue beating uh, Indiana, which very possible, and then the Gophers beating Wisconsin, which you know that's, that's not going to be an easy task. Right. No, it was, I was a little bit tiebreaker. Right. And I was a little bit surprised. Nebraska, even though they're they've only won three games this year, Iowa has got what nine and two, I think. Nebraska, like a three and a half point favorite in that game, and owing to the fact that that's still a name program and owing to the fact that they've been in a lot of games, played Wisconsin pretty close this past week, played the Gophers close, have played a lot of good teams close, but have by and large lost all of those games. Um, so Gophers certainly need some help. PJ Fleck acknowledging that the path would have been a lot easier had they not, you know, had that slip up against Illinois or had they been able to beat Iowa, but still opportunity existing where I wasn't sure one was going to exist after they lost to Iowa. Yeah, that, that's the situation. You know, when they when they dropped the Illinois game, they were in in uh, lone in first place in the West, and then that dropped them down to tie. Then they fell back. 
one one uh, game back um, after the loss to Iowa. Um, yeah, so they they nothing. Not, they didn't get much help last week, but just by beating Indiana, they helped themselves. Yeah, exactly, exactly. They helped themselves, and now they're give themselves a chance. Wisconsin started off the year in rough shape, um, but they've progressively gotten better. They put up 35 points on Nebraska. Seems like their offense has been at least somewhat better lately. Um, you know, this is a, again, we've talked about the rivalry games with PJ Fleck. They beat Wisconsin in 2018, but aside from that have not beaten Iowa or Wisconsin, I believe a combined one and nine now against those two opponents or one, maybe not quite that much one and one and eight, one and eight against those two opponents. Sorry about that. Yeah. So, you know, a lot at stake, uh, even if even if they don't end up winning the Big Ten West, this is a chance for a signature win in a year that doesn't really have one of those yet. Yeah, right now you're, for the Gophers, the signature win might be considered Purdue, and that's you know, kind of a stretch there, I would say. Um, yeah, they, they to, to make this uh, season feel like it's more of an accomplishment, I think beating, getting one of those trophies um, is, is required. Um, basically, uh, they could go out with a with a pretty good feeling if they if they get the axe back, and then it should it would help them too in bowl positioning a bit. Um, you know, obviously if things fall right, they could end up in Indy. It's uh, stranger things that have happened in college football. I'm not not gonna say it's gonna, but it's it's not as far fetched as it might have seemed. Yeah, absolutely. So what what's been going well for Wisconsin? You know, I think we as this happens where. They lose a couple of games sometimes at the beginning of the year. Everybody counts them out, and they seem to they do seem to get better as the year goes on. Typically, yeah, they certainly have. They've won seven in a row now. A uh, uh, big thing lately has been uh, their freshman running back, seventeen uh, year old freshman running back. In fact, uh, Braylon Allen uh, went for two hundred twenty eight yards um, against Nebraska on Saturday. Um, you know, he's he's a two hundred thirty eight pounder, uh, four star recruit. Uh, you know he's going to be the uh, next in their long line of uh, of outstanding running backs. Uh, he's he's been pretty impressive so far. Okay, and they got uh, it seems like Mertz is going a little bit better lately as well. Although they'll still lean primarily on that running game. Gave up twenty eight to Nebraska, which was a little surprising to me. That defense had been better than that. Yeah, their defense is is probably the best in the Big Ten, and and yeah, the, the Nebraska that might be one of the reasons why they're favored to beat Iowa. It, it, Nebraska played them pretty tough. It was it was back and forth game and until till Wisconsin finally uh, took the lead for good late, like three and a half, four minutes left, I believe. So what has to happen? Let's finish with this thought. I mean, if the Gophers are going to win this game, they're close to a touchdown underdog, even though they're playing at home. What what's the what's the formula for them to to be able to win this game? Is it low scoring, medium scoring? What 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 kind of game do they want to be in? I think they want they want a game where the where they can get their passing game going. I, I don't think they're going to be able to just uh, slug it out with the, just the running game against Wisconsin. I think the Badgers are too good up front to do that. I, you know, I, I think they're going to have to be able to be creative. Um, if they were similar to um, were the, the way they were last week and trying different things and getting success there, obviously they're playing a much uh, different defense than Indiana's. Uh, but yeah, I, you know, they get, they gotta be balanced. They, they obviously uh, need to avoid turnovers and, and, you know, maybe they can uh, uh, get a, big play here or there, uh, special teams or, or defense. Well, it'll be fun. A lot of these trophy games are so much more fun when something is at stake, aside from just pride and plenty figures to be at stake on Saturday. Randy, good stuff. Look for your coverage on Saturday, and we'll talk to you again next week.
Okay, sounds good, Mike. Thanks a lot. Big, big game like Randy talked about. Hoping to get over to Gophers football media access a little later on today to bring you some good uh, good stuff from, from that on a later podcast this week. So look forward to that as well. Let's finish quick with the cooler. Monday Night Football was a huge night for Minneapolis City football. Tyler Johnson, former Minneapolis North standout, former Gophers standout, plays for Tampa Bay, of course, and played in that game 57 snaps. You might be less familiar with Ellerson Smith, former Minneapolis South standout, now with the New York Giants, played 17 snaps in that game last night and uh, got a chance to play. So Minneapolis North against Minneapolis South on Monday Night Football. Pretty cool indeed. That'll do it for today. Got to have Chris Hine on Wednesday show. Wolves on a four-game winning streak heading into my heading into playing Miami my Wednesday night at Target Center. Old friend Jimmy Butler coming in. That will be a good measuring stick game in a lot of different ways. So I want to get Chris's thoughts on what's going on with these Wolves and how well they've been playing lately. Should have some more good stuff coming later in the week. Phil Miller to talk twins, payroll, breakdown, Mark Craig, NFL picks, and like I said, some Gophers football access that I hope to uh, hope to get a lot of good stuff from as well. Thank you for listening today. We'll be back at it on Wednesday.